0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of The Turning Wheel by Philip K. Dick. It's read for us by Mike Vendetti. It runs 52 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterwards.
1: THE TURNING WHEEL BY PHILIP K. DICK I'M MIKE VENDETTI If after a great struggle the East were to prevail over the world, what sort of a civilization would be imposed by the victors? Would it be an Oriental version of the societies we know? Or might the great old culture be superimposed upon what was left of Western technology? Bard Chai said thoughtfully, CULTS! He examined a tape report grinding from the receptor. The receptor was rusty and unoiled, it whined piercingly and sent up an acrid wisp of smoke. Chai shut it off as its pitted surface began to heat ugly red. Presently he finished with the tape and tossed it with a heap of refuse, jamming the mouth of a disposal slot. What about cults? Bard sung Wu asked faintly. He brought himself back with an effort and forced a smile of interest on his plump olive-yellow face. You were saying? Any stable society is menaced by cults. Our society is no exception. Chai rubbed his finely tapered fingers together reflectively. Certain lower strata are axiomatically dissatisfied. Their hearts burn with envy of those the wheel has placed above them. In secret, they form fanatic... Rebellious bands. They meet in the dark of the night. They insidiously express inversions of accepted norms. They delight in flaunting basic mores and customs. Ugh! Song Wu agreed. I mean, he explained quickly, it seems incredible people could practice such fanatic and disgusting rites. He got nervously to his feet. I must go if it is permitted. Wait, snapped Chai, you are familiar with the Detroit area uneasily, Sung Wu nodded very slightly with characteristic vigor. Chai made his decision. I'm sending you investigate and make a blue slip report. If this group is dangerous, the holy arm should know it's of the worst elements, the techno class. He made a wry face. Caucasians, hulking, hairy things. We'll give you six months in Spain on your return. You can poke over ruins of abandoned cities. Caucasians, sung Wu exclaimed, his face turning green. But I haven't been well. Please, if someone else could go. you perhaps hold to the broken feather theory? Chai raised an eyebrow. An amazing philologist, Broken Feather. I took partial instruction from him. He held, you know, the Caucasian-to-be descended of Neanderthal stock. Their extreme size, thick body hair, their general brutish cast, reveal an innate inability to comprehend anything but a purely animalistic, horizontal proselytism is a waste of time. He affixed the younger man with a stern eye. I wouldn't send you if I didn't have unusual faith in your devotion." Sung-Woo fingered his beads miserably. Elron be praised, he muttered. You are too kind. Sung-Woo slid into a lift and was raised amid great groans and whirrings and false stops to the top level of the central chamber building. He hurried down a corridor dimly lit by occasional yellow bulbs. A moment later he approached the doors of the scanning offices and flashed his identification at the robot guard. Is Bard fighting within? he inquired. Verily, the robot answered, stepping aside. sung entered the offices, bypassed the rows of rusted, discarded machines, and entered the still-functioning wing. He located his brother-in-law, hunched over some graphs at one of the desks, laboriously copying material by hand. Larness be with you, Sung Woo murmured. Phi Ping glanced up in annoyance. I told you not to come again. If the arm finds out I'm letting you use the scanner for a personal plot, they'll stretch me on the rack. Gently, Sung Woo murmured, his hand on his relation's shoulder. This is the last time I'm going away. One more look, a final look. His olive face took on a pleading, piteous cast. The turn comes for me very soon. This will be our last conversation. Sung Wu's piteous look hardened into cunning. You wouldn't want it on your soul. No restitution will be possible at this late date. Phi Piang snorted. All right, but for Elron's sake, do it quickly. Sung Wu hurried to the mother scanner and seated himself in the rickety basket. He snapped on the controls, clamped his forehead to the viewpiece, inserted his identity tab, and set the space-time finger into motion. Slowly, reluctantly, the ancient mechanism coughed into life and began tracing his personal tab along the future track. sung Wu's hands shook. His body trembled. Sweat dripped from his neck as he saw himself scampering in miniature. Poor Sung-Woo, he thought wretchedly. The might of a thing hurried about its duties. This was but eight months hence. Harried and beset, it performed its tasks, and then, in a subsequent continuum, fell down and died. Sung Wu removed his eyes from the viewpiece and waited for his pulse to slow. He could stand that part, watching the moment of death. It was what came next that was too jangling for him. He breathed a silent prayer. Had he fasted enough? In the four-day purge and self-flagellation, he had used the whip with metal points the heaviest possible. He had given away his money. He had smashed a lovely vase his mother had left him, a treasured heirloom, and had rolled in the filth and mud in the center of town. Hundreds have seen him. Now surely all this was enough, but time was so short. Faint courage stirring, he sat up and again put his eyes to the viewpiece. He was shaking with terror. What if it hadn't changed? What if his mortification weren't enough? He spun the controls, sending the finger tracing his time track past the moment of death. Sung Lu shrieked and scrambled back in horror. His future was the same, exactly the same. There had been no change at all. His guilt had been too great to be washed away in such a short time. It would take ages, and he didn't have ages. He left the scanner and passed by his brother-in-law. Thanks, he muttered shakily. For once a measure of compassion touched Feng Pei's efficient brown features. Bad news. The next turn brings an unfortunate manifestation. Bad scarcely describes it. Phi Piang's pity turned to righteous rebuke. Who do you have to blame but yourself? He demanded sternly. You know your conduct in this manifestation determines the next. If you look forward to a future life as a lower animal, it should make you glance over your behavior and repent your wrongs. The cosmic law that governs us is impartial. It is true justice, cause and effect. What you do determines what you next become. There can be no blame and no sorrow. There can only be understanding and repentance. His curiosity overcame him. What is it, a snake, a squirrel? It's no affair of yours, Sung-Woo said, as he moved unhappily towards the exit doors. I look myself. Go ahead. Sung-Woo pushed moodily out into the hall. He was dazed with despair. It hadn't changed. It was still the same. In eight months he would die, stricken by one of the numerous plagues that swept over the inhabited parts of the world. He would become feverish, break out with red spots, turn and twist in an anguish of delirium. His bowels would drop out, his flesh would waste away, his eyes would roll up, and after an interminable time of suffering, he would die. His body would lie in a mass heap with hundreds of others, a whole street full of dead, to be carted away by one of the robot sweepers, happily immune. His mortal remains would be burned in a common rubbish incinerator on the outskirts of the city. Meanwhile, the eternal spark, Sung Wu's divine soul, would hurry from this space-time manifestation to the next in order. But it would not rise, it would sink. He had watched its descent on the scanner many times. There was always the same hideous picture, a sight beyond endurance, of his soul as it plummeted down like a stone into one of the lowest continua, a sinkhole of a manifestation at the very bottom of the ladder. He had sinned. In his youth, Sung Wu had got mixed up with a black-eyed wench with long flowing hair, a glittering waterfall down her back and shoulders, inviting red lips, plump breasts, hips that undulated and beckoned unmistakably. She was the wife of a friend from the warrior class. But he had taken her as his mistress. He had been certain time remained to rectify his finality. But he was wrong. The wheel was soon to turn for him, the plague not enough time to fast and pray and do good works. He was determined to go down, straight down to a wallowing, foul-aired planet in a stinking red sun system, an ancient pit of filth and decay and unending slime, a jungle world of the lowest type. In it he would be a shiny-winged fly, a great blue-bottom-buzzing carrion-eater that hummed and guzzled and crawled through the rotting carcasses of great lizards slain in combat. From this swamp, this pest-ridden planet in a disease-contaminated system, he would have to rise painfully up the endless rungs of the cosmic ladder he had already climbed. It had taken eons to climb this far, to the level of a human being on the planet Earth, in a bright yellow sol-system... Now he would have to do it all over again. Chai beamed, Elron be with you, as the corroded observation ship was checked by the robot crew and finally okayed for limited flight. Song Wu slowly entered the ship and seated himself at what remained of the controls. He waved listlessly, then slammed the lock and bolted it by hand. As the ship limped into the late afternoon sky, he reluctantly consulted the reports and records Chai had transferred to him. The Tinkerists were a small cult. They claimed only a few hundred members, all drawn from the techno-class, which was the most despised of the social castes. The bards, of course, were at the top. They were the teachers of society, the holy men who guided man to clearness. Then the poets. They turned into Saga, the great legends of Elrond Hu, who lived, according to legend, in the hideous days of the time of madness. Below the poets were the artists, then the musicians, then the workers, who supervised the robot crews. After them, the businessmen, the warriors, the farmers, and finally at the bottom, the technos. Most of the technos were Caucasians, immense white-skinned things, incredibly hairy like apes. The resemblance to the great apes was striking. Perhaps Broken Feather was right. Perhaps they did have Neanderthal blood, and were outside the possibility of clearness. sung Wu had always considered himself an anti-racist. He disliked those who maintained the Caucasians were a race apart. Extremists believed eternal damage would result to the species if the Caucasians were allowed to intermarry. In any case, the problem was academic. No decent self-respecting woman of the higher classes, of Indian or Mongolian or Bantu stock, would allow themselves to be approached by a cock. Below his ship, the barren countryside spread out, ugly and bleak, great red spots that hadn't yet been overgrown, and slag surfaces were still visible, but by this time most ruins were covered by soil and crabgrass. He could see men and robots farming, villages, countless tiny brown circles in the green fields, occasional ruins of ancient cities, gaping sores like blind mouths, eternally open to the sky. They would never close, not now. Ahead was the Detroit area, named, so it ran, for some now-forgotten spiritual leader. There were more villages here, off to his left, the leaden surface of a body of water, a lake of some kind. Beyond that, only Elron knew. No one went that far. There was no human life there, only wild animals and deformed things spawned from radiation infestations still lying heavy in the north. He dropped his ship down. An open field lay to his right. A robot farmer was plowing with a metal hook welded to its waist. A section torn off some discarded machine. It stopped dragging the hook and gazed up in amazement as Sung Wu landed the ship awkwardly and bumped to a halt. Clearness be with you, the robot rasped obediently as sung Wu climbed out. sung Wu gathered up his bundle of reports and papers and stuffed them in a briefcase. He snapped the ship's lock and hurried off toward the ruins of the city. The robot went back to dragging the rusty metal hook through the hard ground, its pitted body bent double with the strain, working slowly, silently, uncomplaining. The little boy piped. With as Sung Woo pushed wearily through the tangled debris and slag. He was a little black-faced Bantu in red rags sewed and patched together. He ran alongside Sung Woo like a puppy, leaping and bounding and grinning white teeth. Sung Woo became immediately crafty. His intrigue with the black-haired girl had taught him elemental dodges and evasions. My ship broke down, he answered cautiously. It was certainly common enough. It was the last ship still in operation at our field. Boy skipped and laughed and broke off bits of green weeds that grew along the trail. I know somebody who can fix it, he cried carelessly. Sung Wu's pulse rate changed. Huh? he murmured as if uninterested. There are those around who practice the questionable art of repairing? The boy nodded solemnly. Technos? Sung Wu pursued. Are there many of them here-around those old ruins?" More black faced boys and some little dark eyed Bantu girls came scampering through the slag and ruins. "What's the matter with your ship?" one hollered at Sungwoo. "Wanna run?" They all ran and shouted ahead of him as he advanced slowly, an unusually wild bunch, completely undisciplined. They rolled and fought and tumbled and chased each other around madly. "How many of you?" Sung-Woo demanded, have taken your first instruction. There was a sudden, uneasy silence. The children looked at each other guiltily. None of them answered. Good Elron," Sung-Woo exclaimed in horror. Are you all untaught? Heads hung guiltily. How do you expect to phase yourself with the cosmic will? How can you expect to know the divine plan? This is really too much. He pointed a plump finger at one of the boys. Are you constantly preparing yourself for the life to come? Are you constantly purging and purifying yourself? Do you deny yourself meat, sex, entertainment, financial gain, education, leisure? But it was obvious their unrestrained laughter and play proved they were still jangled far from clear and clearness is the only road by which a person can gain understanding of the eternal plan, the cosmic wheel, which turns endlessly for all living things. Butterflies! Sung-Woo snorted me with disgust. You are no better than the beasts and birds of the field who take no heed of the morrow. You play in-game for today, thinking tomorrow won't come like insects.' but the thought of insects reminded him of the shiny-winged, blue-rumped fly creeping over a rotting lizard carcass, and Sung Woo's stomach did a flip-flop. He forced it back in place and strode on towards the line of villages emerging ahead. Farmers were working the barren fields on all sides, a thin layer of soil over slag. A few limp wheat stalks waved, thin and emaciated. The ground was terrible, the worst he had seen. He could feel the metal under his feet. It was almost to the surface. Bent men and women watered their sickly crops with tin cans, old metal containers picked from the ruins. An ox was pulling a crude cart. In another field, women were weeding by hand, all moved slowly, stupidly, victims of hookworm from the soil. They were all barefoot. The children hadn't picked it up yet, but they soon would. Sung-Woo gazed up at the sky and gave thanks to Elron. Here suffering was unusually severe. Trials of exceptional vividness lay on every hand. These men and women were being tempered in a hot crucible. Their souls were probably purified to an astonishing degree. A baby lay in the shade beside a half-dozing mother. Flies crawled over its eyes. Its mother breathed heavily, hoarsely, her mouth open. An unhealthy flush discolored her brown cheeks. Her belly bulged. She was already pregnant again. Another eternal soul to be raised from a lower level. Her great breasts sagged and wobbled as she stirred in her sleep, spilling out over a dirty wraparound. Come here, sung Wu called sharply to the gang of black-faced children who followed along after him. I'm going to talk to you. The children approached, eyes on the ground, and assembled in a silent circle around him. Sung-Woo sat down, placed his briefcase beside him, and folded his legs expertly under him, in the traditional posture outlined by Elron in his seventh book of teachings. "'I will ask you, and you will answer,' Sung-Woo stated. "'You know the basic catechisms?' He peered sharply around. "'Who knows the basic catechisms?' One or two hands went up. Most of the children looked away unhappily. First, snapped Sung-Woo, who are you? You are a minute fragment of the cosmic plan. Second, what are you? A mere speck in a system so vast as to be beyond comprehension. Third, what is the way to life? To fulfill what is required by the cosmic forces. Fourth, where are you? ON ONE STEP OF THE COSMIC LADDER FIFTH WHERE HAVE YOU BEEN THROUGH ENDLESS STEPS EACH TURN OF THE WHEEL ADVANCES OR DEPRESSES YOU SIXTH WHAT DETERMINES YOUR DIRECTION AT THE NEXT TURN YOUR CONDUCT IN THIS manifestation. SEVENTH WHAT IS RIGHT CONDUCT SUBMITTING YOURSELF TO THE ETERNAL FORCES THE COSMIC ELEMENTS THAT MAKE UP THE DIVINE PLAN WHAT IS THE SIGNIFICANCE OF SUFFERING? TO PURIFY THE SOUL. NINTH. WHAT IS THE SIGNIFICANCE OF DEATH? TO RELEASE THE PERSON FROM THIS manifestation, SO HE MAY RISE TO A NEW RUNG OF THE LADDER. TENTH. BUT AT THAT MOMENT SUNG WU BROKE OFF. TWO QUASI-HUMAN SHAPES WERE APPROACHING HIM, IMMENSE WHITE-SKINNED FIGURES, STRIDING ACROSS THE BAKED FIELDS BETWEEN THE SICKLY ROWS OF WHEAT. Technos, coming to meet him. His flesh crawled. Cocks. Their skin glittered pale and unhealthy, like nocturnal insects dug from under rocks. He rose to his feet, conquered his disgust, and prepared to greet them. Sung Wu said, Clearness. He could smell them, a musky sheep smell, as they came to a halt in front of him. Two bucks— Two immense, sweating males, skin damp and sticky, with beards and long, disorderly hair. They wore sailcloth, trousers, and boots. With horror, Sungwu perceived a thick body hair on their chests. Like woven mats, tufts in their armpits, on their arms, wrists, even the backs of their hands. Maybe Broken Feather was right. Perhaps in these great, lumbering, blonde-haired beasts, The archaic Neanderthal stock, the false men, still survived. He could almost see the ape, peering from behind their blue eyes. Hi, the first cock said. After a moment, he added reflectively, My name's Jameson. Pete Ferris, the other grunted. Neither of them observed the customary deferences. Sung Woo winced, but managed not to show it. Was it deliberately a veiled insult or perhaps mere ignorance? This was hard to tell. In lower classes there was, as Chai said, an ugly undercurrent of resentment and envy and hostility. I'm making a routine survey, Sung Woo explained, on birth and death rates in rural areas. I'll be here a few days. Is there some place I can stay, some public inn or hostel? The two cock bucks were silent. Why? One of them demanded bluntly. Sung Wu blinked. Why? Why what? Why are you making a survey? If you want any information, we'll supply it. Sung Wu was incredulous. Do you know to whom you're talking? I'm a bard. Why you're ten classes down? How dare you? He choked with rage. In these rural areas, the technos had utterly forgotten their place. What was ailing the local bards? Were they letting the system break apart? He shuddered violently at the thought of what it would mean if technos and farmers and businessmen were allowed to intermingle, even intermarry, and eat and drink in the same places. The whole structure of society would collapse. If all were to ride the same carts, use the same outhouses, it passed relief. A sudden nightmare picture loomed up before Sung Wu of Techno's living and mating with women of the bard and poet classes. He visioned a horizontally-oriented society, all persons on the same level, with horror. It went against the very grain of the cosmos, against the divine plan. It was the time of madness all over again, he shuddered. Where is the manager of this area? he demanded. Take me to him. I'll deal directly with him. The two cocks turned and headed back the way they had come, without a word. After a moment of fury, Sung Wu followed behind them. They led him through withered fields and over barren eroded hills on which nothing grew. The ruins increased. At the edge of the city a line of meager villages had been set up. He saw leaning rickety wood huts and mud streets from the villages a thick stench rose, the smell of offal and death. Dogs lay sleeping under the huts. Children poked and played in the filth and rotting debris. Few old people sat on porches, vacant-faced, eyes glazed and dull. Chickens pecked around, and he saw pigs and skinny cats, and the eternal rusting piles of metal, sometimes thirty feet high. Great towers of red slag were heaped up everywhere, Beyond the villages were the ruins proper. Endless miles of abandoned wreckage, skeletons of buildings, concrete walls, bathtubs, and pipe, overturned wrecks that had been cars. All these were from the time of madness, the decade that had finally rung the curtain down on the sorriest interval in man's history. The five centuries of madness and jangledness were now known as the Age of hearsay when man had gone against the divine plan and taken his destiny in his own hands. They came to a larger hut, a two-story wood structure. The cocks climbed a decaying flight of steps. Boards creaked and gave ominously under their heavy boots. Sung Woo followed them nervously. They came out on a porch, a kind of open balcony. On the balcony sat a man, an obese copper-skinned official in unbuttoned breeches, His shiny black hair pulled back and tied with a bone against his bulging red neck. His nose was large and prominent, his face flat and wide, with many chins. He was drinking lime juice from a tin cup and gazing down at the mud street below. As the two cocks appeared, he rose slightly, a prodigious effort. This man, the cock named Jameson, said, indicating Sung Woo wants to see you sung Wu pushed angrily forward. I'm a bard from that central chamber. Do you people recognize this? He tore open his robe and flashed the symbol of the holy arm. Gold worked to form a swath of flaming red. I insist you accord me proper treatment. I'm not here to be pushed around by any— He had said too much. sung Wu forced his anger down and gripped his briefcase. The fat Indian was studying him calmly. The two cocks said— "'wandered to the far end of the balcony "'and were squatting down in the shade. "'They lit crude cigarettes and turned their backs. "'Do you permit this?' "'Sung Wu demanded. "'Incredulous. "'This... mingling?' "'The Indian shrugged and sagged down "'even more on his chair. "'Clearness be with you,' he murmured. "'Will you join me?' "'His calm expression remained unchanged. "'He seemed not to have noticed. "'Some lime juice or perhaps coffee.' Lime juice is good for these. He tapped his mouth. His soft gums were lined with caked sores. Nothing for me, Sung-Woo muttered grumpily as he took a seat opposite the Indian. I'm here on an official survey. The Indian nodded faintly. Oh. Birth and death rates. Sung-Woo hesitated, then leaned toward the Indian. I insist you send these two cocks away. What I have to say to you is private.' The Indian showed no change of expression. His broad face was utterly impassive. After a time he turned slightly. Please go down to the street level, he ordered, as you will. The two cocks got to their feet grumbling and pushed past the table, scowling and darting resentful glances at Sung Wu. One of them hawked and elaborately spat over the railing, an obvious insult. Insolence, Sung Woo choked. How can you allow it? Did you see them? By Elron it's beyond belief. The Indian shrugged indifferently and belched. All men are brothers on the wheel. Didn't Elron himself teach that when he was on Earth? Of course, but are not even these men our brothers? Naturally, Sung Wu answered haughtily, but they must know their place. They're an insignificant class. In the rare events some object wants fixing, they're called but in the last year I do not recall a single incident when it was deemed advisable to repair anything. The need of such a class diminishes yearly. Eventually such a class and the elements composing it... You perhaps advocate sterilization? The Indian inquired, heavy-lidded and sly. I advocate something. The lower classes reproduce like rabbits spawning all the time, much faster than we bards. I always see some swollen-up cock woman, but hardly a single bard is born these days. The lower classes must fornicate constantly. That's about all that's left them. The Indian murmured mildly. He sipped a little lime juice. You should try to be more tolerant. Tolerant. "'I Have nothing against them as long as they. It is said, the Indian continued softly, that Elron Hu himself was a cock. Sung Wu spluttered indignantly and started to rejoin but the hot words stuck fast in his mouth down the mud street something was coming sung wu demanded what is that he leaped up excitedly and hurried to the railing a slow procession was advancing with solemn step as if at a signal men and women poured from their rickety huts and excitedly lined the street to watch sung wu was transfixed as the procession neared his senses reeled more and more men and women were collecting each moment. They seemed to be hundreds of them. They were a dense, murmuring mob, packed tight, swaying back and forth, faces avid. A historical moan passed through them, a great wind that stirred them like leaves of a tree. They were a single, collective whole of vast, primitive organism, held ecstatic and hypnotized by the approaching column. The marchers wore a strange costume, white shirts, with the sleeves rolled up, dark gray trousers of an incredibly archaic design and black shoes. All were dressed exactly alike. They formed a dazzling double line of white shirts, gray trousers, marching calmly and solemnly, faces up, nostrils flared, jaws stern. A glazed fanaticism stamped each man and woman, such a ruthless expression that Sung-Woo shrank back in terror. On and on they came, figures of grim stone in their primordial white shirts and gray trousers, a frightening breath from the past. Their heels struck the ground in a dull, harsh beat that reverberated among the rickety huts. The dogs woke, the children began to wail, the chickens flew squawking. ''Elron!'' Sung-Woo cried. ''What's happening?'' The marchers carried strange, symbolic implements, ritualistic images with esoteric meaning that of necessity escaped Sung-Woo. These were tubes and poles and shiny webs of what looked like metal, metal. But it was not Rusty. It was shiny and bright. He was stunned. They looked new. The procession passed directly below. After the marchers came a huge rumbling cart. On it was mounted an obvious fertility symbol, a corkscrew bore as long as a tree. It jutted from a square cube of gleaming metal. As the cart moved forward, the bore lifted and fell. After the cart came more marchers, also grim-faced, eyes glassy, loaded down with pipes and tubes and arms full of glittering equipment. They passed on, and then the street was filled by surging throngs of odd men and women who followed after them utterly dazed and then came children and barking dogs the last marcher carried a pennant that fluttered above her as she strode along a tall pole hugged tight to her chest at the top the bright pennant fluttered boldly sung woo made its marking out and for a moment consciousness left him there it was directly below it had passed under his very nose on the open for all to see, unconcealed. The pennant had a great tea emblazoned on it. They, he began, but the obese Indian cut him off. The tinkerists, he rumbled, and sipped his lime juice. Sung Wu grabbed up his briefcase and scrambled toward the stairs. At the bottom, the two hulking cocks were already moving into motion. The Indian signaled quickly to them. Here. They started grimly up, little blue eyes, mean, red-rimmed and cold as stone. Under their pelts, their bulging muscles rippled. Sung Woo fumbled in his cloak. His shiver gun came out. He squeezed the release and directed it toward the two cocks. But nothing happened. The gun had stopped functioning. He shook it wildly. Flakes of rust and dried insulation fluttered from it was useless, worn out. He tossed it away and then, with the resolve of depression, jumped through the railing. He in a torrent of rotten wood cascaded to the street. He hit, rolled, struck his head against the corner of a hut and shakily pulled himself to his feet. He ran. Behind him the two cocks pushed after him, through the throngs of men and women milling aimlessly along. Occasionally he glimpsed their white perspiring faces. He turned a corner, raced between shabby huts, leaped over a sewage ditch, climbed heaps of sagging debris, slipping and rolled, and at last lay gasping behind a tree, his briefcase still clutched. Cocks were nowhere in sight. He had evaded them. For the moment he was safe. He peered around. Which way was his ship? He shielded his eyes against the late afternoon sun until he managed to make out its bent tubular outline. It was far off to his right, barely visible in a dying glare that hung gloomily across the sky. Sung Wu got unsteadily to his feet and began walking cautiously in that direction. It was a terrible spot. The whole region was pro-tinkerist, even the chamber-appointed manager. And it wasn't along class lines. The cult had knifed to the top level. And it wasn't just Cox anymore. He couldn't count on Bantu or Mongolian or Indian. Not in this area, an entire countryside was hostile and lying in wait for him. Elron it was worse than the arm had thought. No wonder they wanted to report A whole area had swung over to a fanatic cult, a violent, extremist group of heretics, teaching a most diabolical doctrine. He shuddered and kept on avoiding contact with the farmers in their fields, both human and robot. He increased his pace as alarm and horror pushed him suddenly faster. If the thing were to spread, if it were to hit a sizable portion of mankind, it might bring back the time of madness. The ship was taken. Three or four immense cocks stood lounging around it, cigarettes dangling from their slack mouths, white-faced and hairy. Stunned Sung Wu moved back down the hillside, prickles of despair numbing him. The ship was lost. They had got there ahead of him. What was he supposed to do now? It was almost evening. He'd have to walk fifty miles through the darkness over unfamiliar hostile ground to reach the next inhabited area. Sun was already beginning to set, the air turning cool, and in addition he was sopping wet with filth and slimy water. He had slipped in the gloom and fallen in a sewage ditch. He retraced his steps, mind blank. How could he do? He was helpless; his shiver gun had been useless; he was alone, and there was no contact with the arm; tinkerists swarming on all sides; they'd probably gut him and sprinkle his blood over the crops, or worse. He skirted a farm; and in the failing twilight a dim figure was working, a young woman; he eyed her cautiously as he passed; she had her back to him; she was bending over between rows of corn. What is she doing? Was she... Good Elron? He stumbled blindly across the field toward her, caution forgotten. Young woman, stop! In the name of Elron, stop at once! The girl straightened up. Who are you? Breathless, Sun Wu arrived in front of her, gripping his battered briefcase and gasping. Those are our brothers. How can you destroy them? They may be close relatives recently deceased. He struck out and knocked a jar from her hand. It hit the ground, and the imprisoned beetles scurried off in all directions. The girl's cheeks flushed with anger. "'Took me an hour to collect those. You were killing them, crushing them.' He was speechless with horror. "'I saw you.' "'Of course,' the girl raised her black eyebrows. "'They gnaw the corn. They're our brothers,' Sunwool repeated wildly." Of course they gnaw the corn, because of certain sins committed. The cosmic forces have... He broke off, appalled. Don't you know? You've never been told? The girl was perhaps sixteen. In the fading light she was a small, slender figure, the empty jar in one hand, a rock in the other. A tide of black hair tumbled down her neck. Her eyes were large and luminous, her lips full and deep red, her skin a smooth copper-brown. Polynesian, probably. He caught a glimpse of firm brown breasts as she bent to grab a beetle that had landed on its back. The sight made his pulse race. In a flash, he was back three years. What's your name? he asked kindly. Free, How old are you? Seventeen. I'm a bard. Have you ever spoken to a bard before? No, the girl murmured. I don't think so. She was almost invisible in the darkness. Sung-Woo could scarcely see her, but what he saw sent his heart into an agony of paroxysms. The same cloud of black hair, the same deep red lips. The girl was younger, of course, a mere child, and from the farmer class at that. But she had Lu's figure, and in time she'd ripen, probably in a matter of months. Ageless, honeyed craft worked his vocal cords, I have landed in this area to make a survey. Something has gone wrong with my ship, and I must remain the night. I know no one here, however. My plight is such that— Oh, Priya said, immediately sympathetic. Why don't you stay with us tonight? We have an extra room. Now that my brother's away— Delighted, sung answered instantly. Will you lead the way? I'll gladly repay you for your kindness— the girl moved off toward a vague shape, looming up in the darkness. Sung Wu hurried quickly after her. I find it incredible you haven't been instructed. This whole area has deteriorated beyond belief. What ways have you fallen in? We'll have to spend much time together. I can see that already. Not one of you even approaches clearness. You're jangled, every one of you. What does that mean? Freya asked as she stepped up on the porch and opened the door. Jangled, Sung-Woo blinked in amazement. We will have to study much together. In his eagerness, he tripped on the top step and barely managed to catch himself. Perhaps you need complete instruction. It may be necessary to start from the very bottom. I can arrange a stay at the Holy Arm for you, under my protection, of course. Jangled means out of harmony with the cosmic elements. How can he live this way? My dear, you'll have to be brought in line with the divine plan. What plan is that? She led him to a warm living room, where a crackling fire burned on the grate. Two or three men sat around a high wood table, an old man with long white hair and two younger men. A frail, withered old woman sat dozing in a rocker in the corner. In the kitchen, a buxom young woman was fixing the evening meal. Why, the plan, Sungwoo answered, astounded. His eyes darted around. Suddenly his briefcase fell to the floor. Cocks, he said. They were all Caucasian, even Frida. She was deeply tanned. Her skin was almost black, but she was a cock nonetheless. He recalled cocks in the sun turned dark, sometimes even darker than Mongolians. The girl had tossed her work robe over a door hook. In her household shorts, her thighs were as white as milk. And the old man and woman, this is my grandfather, Frieza said, indicating the old man, Benjamin Tinker, under the watchful eyes of the two younger tinkers, Sung Wu was washed and scrubbed, given clean clothes, and then fed. He only ate a little, he didn't feel very well. I can't understand it. he muttered as he listlessly pushed his plate away. The scanner at the central chamber said I had eight months left. The plague will... He considered. But it can always change. The scanner goes on prediction, not certainty. Multiple possibilities, free will. Any overt act of sufficient significance. Ben Tinker laughed. You want to stay alive? Of course, Sung Woo muttered indignantly. They all laughed, even Frida and the old woman in her shawl, snow-white hair and mild blue eyes. They were the first cock women he had ever seen. They weren't big and lumbering like the male cocks. They didn't seem to have the same bestial characteristics. The two young cockbucks looked pretty tough, though. They and their father were poring over an elaborate series of papers and reports spread out on the dinner table, among the empty plates. "'This area,' Ben Tinker murmured, "'Pipe should go here, and here. "'Water's the main need. "'Before the next crop goes in, "'we'll dump a few hundred pounds of artificial fertilizers "'and plow it in. "'Power plows should be ready, then.' "'After that?' one of the tow-headed sons asked. "'Then spraying. "'If we don't have the nicotine sprays, "'we'll have to try the copper dusting again. "'I prefer the spray, "'but we're still behind on production.' The boars dug us up some good storage caverns, though. It ought to start picking up. In here, a son said, there's going to be need of training. A lot of mosquito breeding going on. We can try the oil as we did over here, but I suggest the whole thing be filled in. We can use the dredge and scoop if they're not tied up. Sung Wu had taken all this in. Now he rose unsteadily to his feet, trembling with wrath. He pointed a shaking finger at the elder Tinker. You're meddling, he gasped. They looked up. Meddling? With the plan, with a cosmic plan. Good, Elron, you're interfering with the divine processes. Why? He was staggered by a realization so alien it convulsed the very core of his being. You're actually going to set back turns of the wheel. That, said old Ben Tinker, is right. Sung Woo sat down again, stunned. His mind refused to take it all in. I don't understand. What'll happen? If you slow the wheel, if you disrupt the divine plan... He's going to be a problem, Ben Tinker murmured thoughtfully. If we kill him, the arm will merely send another. They have hundreds like him. And if we don't kill him, if we send him back... He'll raise a hue and cry that'll bring the whole chamber down here. It's too soon for this to happen. We're growing super fast, but we need another few months. Sweat stood out on Sung Wu's plump forehead. He wiped it away shakily. If you kill me, he muttered, you will sink down many rungs of the cosmic ladder. You have risen this far. Why undo the work accomplished in endless ages past?' Ben Tinker fixed one powerful blue eye on him. My friend, he said slowly, isn't it true one's next manifestation is determined by one's mortal conduct in this? Sung Wu nodded. Such is well known. And what is right conduct? Fulfilling the divine plan, Sung Woo responded immediately. Maybe our whole movement is part of the plan, Ben Tinker said thoughtfully. Maybe the cosmic forces want us to drain the swamps and kill the grasshoppers and inoculate the children, after all. Cosmic forces put us all here. If you kill me, sung Wu wailed, I'll be a carrion-eaten fly. I saw it, a shiny-winged blue rump fly crawling over the carcasses of a dead lizard in a rotting, stinging jungle of a filthy cesspool of a planet. Tears came. He dabbed them futilely in an out-of-the-way system at the bottom of the ladder! Tinker was amused. Why is this? I've sinned, Sung-woo sniffed and flushed. I committed adultery. Can't you purge yourself? There's no time! His misery rose to wild despair. My mind is still impure, he indicated Freya, standing in the bedroom doorway a supple white and tan shape in her household shorts. I continue to think carnal thoughts. I can't rid myself. In eight months the plague will turn the wheel on me, and I'll be done. If I live to be an old man, withered and toothless, no more appetite.' His plump body quivered in a frenzied convulsion. "'There's no time to purge and atone. According to the scanner I'm going to die a young man.' After his torrent of words Tinker was silent, deep in thought. The plague, he said at last. What exactly are the symptoms? Sung Woo described them, his olive face turning to a sickly green. When he had finished, the three men looked significantly at each other. Ben Tinker got to his feet. Come along, he commanded briskly, taking the bard by the arm. I have something to show you. It is left from the old days. Sooner or later, we'll advance enough to turn out our town." But right now we have only these remaining few. We have to keep them guarded and sealed. This is for a good cause, one of the sons said. It's worth it. He caught his brother's eye and grinned. Brad Chai finished reading Sung Woo's blue slip report. He tossed it suspiciously down and eyed the younger bard. You're sure there's no further need of investigation?' The cult will wither away, Sung Wu murmured indifferently. It lacks any real support. it's merely an escape valve without intrinsic validity. Chai wasn't convinced. he reread parts of the report again. I suppose you're right, but we've heard so many lies. Sung Wu said vaguely. Rumors, gossip, may I go? He moved toward the door, eager for your vacation. Chai smiled understandingly. I know how you feel. This report must have exhausted you. Rural areas, stagnant backwaters. We must prepare a better program of rural education. I'm convinced whole regions are in a jangled state. We've got to bring clearness to these people. It's our historic role, our class function. Verily, Sungwoo murmured, as he bowed his way out of the office and down the hall. As he walked, he fingered his beats thankfully. He breathed a silent prayer as his fingers moved over the surface of the little red pellets, shiny spheres that glowed freshly in place of the faded old, the gift of the tinkerists. The beads would come in handy. He kept his hand on them tightly. Nothing must happen to them in the next eight months. He had to watch them carefully while he poked around the ruined cities of Spain. He finally came down with the plague. He was the first bard to wear a rosary of penicillin capsules. This has been The Turning Wheel by Philip K. Dick. I'm Mike Vendetti. Production Copyright 2015 by Audiobooks by Mike Vendetti.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Jim.
2: Hi, I'm Marissa.
0: Hi, I am Mirko. It's been a long time since we had Mirko on. Busy doing yes, other podcasts. <laughs> um, <laughs> still still ashamed of his perfectly serviceable English. I don't know why. Um, maybe I'm so, I'm sorry. you're flagellating yourself <laughs> over that so you can ascend into a, a higher Purifying. state. Yeah, that's right.
3: Yes, so clearness be with me.
0: Clearness be with me. So I was, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what... What I was going to say about this story, other than I don't like it very much.
4: <laughs> um,
0: and I hope
4: oh, well, we haven't even we haven't even told the listeners what story we're listening. Oh, it's the about. Turning Wheel, a uh, novelette by Philip K. Dick, first
0: published in Science Fiction Stories, issue 2 uh, 1954 This is the second issue of a test market publication, so probably didn't get a huge uh, circulation. And probably why it didn't get public, uh, it's it's probably in the public domain in part because of that. It sort of fell f- between the cracks. Um, so uh, hopefully my reaction was not the only kind of reaction we had here. Uh,
4: Paul, what did you, what did you, I what's enjoy, your
0: take?
4: I, I enjoyed it a lot because I headcanon to myself that this is the far future of Faith of Our Fathers. Oh, hmm. 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 And and as as you and the, many of the listeners, that's probably my favorite Philip K. Dick story. So once I was able to hook into that, like, okay, I'll go along with this. That's interesting.
0: It has a lot of elements to, you know, that you see in other stories as well. Um, well, Jim, what, what's your reaction to this one?
5: Uh, I really enjoyed it. I've not come across this particular tale before. Um, However, on the first listen, I did find the ending sort of ambushed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, 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 is that it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, I remembered, uh, I think it was Brian Aldis's, um famous remarks about Philip K. Dick is, you, Aldis said, you often read Dick and think, this is such a good idea. This is such a fascinating setting. And it's kind of, I wish he wasn't on speed
0: and hadn't rushed and finished <laughs> it so soon. <laughs> I I I had that reaction a bit as well. I, I thought maybe the reason I don't like this as much as I want to is because it's not a novel. Because at this length, this is exactly how he normally writes. But I knew that it was short and so that I wasn't going to get that, you know, adrenaline or I don't know, heroin hit that I get when I get a nice PKD short and it goes in and and you feel this rush, you know, <laughs> like this one. It's it's long. It's a it's I don't know. I used a lot of printer paper printing this thing out. Um, mm-hmm. it ta- it's an hour of listening. But, uh, you know, a lot of his short stories are tw- 15 minutes or nine minutes, something like that. So I don't know. Let's let's move on to the next person, Marissa.
2: Um, I enjoyed it I thought it was um, like not as a story experience exactly Um, you know it's not like great storytelling or anything but I did think it was really funny and also I love Scientology I think it's the most hilarious (laughs) crazy thing ever so um, I was really enjoying walking around Hollywood Past all the Scientologists listening to this story, wow. I took a lot of glee in that.
0: <laughs> oh, Marissa, <laughs> oh, that's kind of cruel glee in a certain sense. <laughs> uh, I think I think this has to be unpacked in that in that direction. So we're going to get a lot of, a lot yep. of your expertise on this. All right, Marco, it's been a long time since you did a show uh, on my podcast, but you've yeah. done lots of Philip K. Thanks. Dick on your sure. one of your podcasts, so. Sigma Two Fox yeah, Yes, you haven't done this um, one before, I assume.
3: No, 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 we haven't. But I totally agree with uh, Jim Moon. It's full of ideas, mm. which I like, which I really like about Philip K. Dick's stories. And the thing that mo- that uh, really hit me was um, he's building a world, uh, the image of a world step by step. He delivers small hints mm-hmm. of how the world of his story could be. Then he reveals another. F- uh, another hint and then another which is an uh, interesting way of establishing a fictional world mm-hmm. and this is one of the things in philip k dick stories that really that i really like and this same way, same here in this story um so this was mm, it's not his best story we can, yeah. we cannot say it
0: i don't think anybody but, would uh, uh, i don't think anybody could no, would no. think that <laughs>
3: No, no, really not. But he was. Uh, it was written in 1953. So,
6: mm-hmm.
3: and this year he uh, had 30 stories stories published already. <laughs> and the years before, he established himself as a science fiction writer. So this is a, an interesting point, I guess. Uh, we should, we could discuss that he is producing science fiction
0: almost uh, with with no break.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: It's true, and, and I was reading uh, on the. Um philip kiddick fans page that this was sort of the last of a batch of longer stuff before he switched back to short stuff um and i there are a number of his stories from this period that i i'm just baffled by and i think that's kind of how i feel about this i'm not sure if he knows what he's doing in this length it might be that this this length just allows him to make more money which uh, is possible but I think he's really pointing to something, and I'm not sure he knows what he's pointing to, but it's. I mean, the plot of this is, other than just a showcase of the world, seems pretty small. There's a uh, a governing council for the Earth, uh, and they are concerned, so they send an agent. The agent goes there gets uh, sort of reverses the situation. What are we supposed to make of the ending uh, for not just for our protagonist, but for the world? Is this the
4: start of a another turn of the wheel? Is that what it means? I think so. I I really think that the point of the story is the old order is falling apart mm-hmm. and our, our protagonist's choices are going to accelerate that decline because because at the end, he, he basically tells lies about the strength and dangerousness of the quote, quote-unquote cult so that they will continue to grow and spread. And he can go off on his vacation, and he will not die in eight months because he's got penicillin. Hurrah! Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I saw it as a um, as a return to um, reality. Like, not a turning of the wheel, but yeah. that the world has just been overcome by this cult and like false beliefs and these weird electronic devices that supposedly show you what you're going to be in the next world
6: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that yeah he's kind of waking up at the end and
0: <laughs> yeah so is the religion real? Cause yeah, I, I'm not sure. I would say that the, that you know that the, the tech, tech, what are they called? Technists? Techno? Tinkerist. Techno. Techno. Tinkerists. Ah, right. Tinkerist. Named after a guy named Tinker right? Ben Tinker um, the Tinkerists are not actually a religion at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> they they have a parade, yes. <laughs> but the parade is sort of just in reaction to. It's like a I don't know a secular meeting or something like that. Like mm-hmm. we're proud of all this shit we made. Look at us, we're sort of consumerist. So I'm not sure if he's if he's 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 maybe take, taken on too much in such such a short story because. This is both a racist and anti-racist story. He's also sort of reflecting on, I, I think, his own, I don't know, awkwardness in his own body, <laughs> given that PKD was a was a cock himself. Um, I, I think there's a lot of that going on in here. But uh, there's also, you know, he has a spiritual yearning, or at least a spiritual interest, or at least a interest in the numinous. Um, mm-hmm. but he also was a repairman, right? So, I, I, I think there I used it I, probably on the last podcast too, but it, ambivalence is, is what I ca- came away from this story with, other than a nice visit to a, uh, another crapsack future post-apocalyptic dystopia where everything got nuked at some point. Right? That must mm-hmm. be, that must be the history. Um, it's also a yellow peril story. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, where uh, the entire social uh, structure as we know it, I guess, in the 1950s, where um, whites are on the top, uh, blacks are on the bottom, uh, I don't know, Indians in the middle and Asians uh, I don't, somewhere, right? It's all inverted. Now, cocks are on the bottom and Indians are ascendant and... Like, what? what's all that mean? What's he saying with that? I'm not sure.
4: Somebody help me. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, again, a turn of the wheel. I mean, at the time he was writing this for the last 500 years, Western Europe, Caucasians had dominated the world. And, well, after the nuclear war, the Caucasians have gone down to the bottom of the ladder. And now it's the Asians from China, Japan, India, and... Also, the Africans that are higher than the the, the lowly cocks who will never do anything, or never be anything, they're just nothing, and they always will be. At least that's what the social order seems to suggest. But it's really just, it. I mean, this this the novel is all about turnings of the wheel and about about the rotations of karma, be it in his life, be be it social so, social structures or global for that matter so it's all it's all circles within circles in this story He's, I don't think I don't know if he was consciously writing it that way but that's the way it comes off to me it's just it's like a increasingly larger set of circles from the personal to the fate of the world
0: there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor in here maybe Marissa can help us out um, uh, uh, on the on the um, religious aspects I, I was more amused by just um the Philip K. Dick stand-in character who is always looking at ladies. <laughs> Listen to this. this oh, yeah. Page I'm an
4: adulterer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> My mind is still impure, he indicated Frisia <laughs> standing in the bedroom doorway, a supple white and tan shape in her household shorts. I continue to think carnal thoughts. I can't rid myself. In eight months, the plague will turn the wheel on me and I'll be done. So he, 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 he thinks... That you know he needs to go and flagellate himself, deny himself access. What's the list of things you're supposed to do? Deny yourself access to entertainment, to education.
4: Oh <laughs> to, yeah, to food, to meat. To yeah. meat. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: of course. Meat. You don't want to eat your fellow uh, brothers. Whip yourself some more, um, and then he laments the fact that his his a Bardley class, which apparently you're born into, um, is uh, <laughs> is population declining. This is uh, this is some sort of satire, right? Yeah, for but sure. Is it? It's not really making fun of Scientology yet. Scientology is just being born at this point, isn't it?
2: No, I think it's definitely making fun of Scientology.
0: It's it's so young It's nineteen fifty four. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think mm-hmm. it had already been founded. Even like it wasn't. Wow. I think Al Ron had come up with the ideas.
0: Well, yeah, the, I, I, yeah. Years I think it just that. just founded it though. Like,
2: yeah.
3: So he's probably
2: written.
3: He published Dianetics at 1950.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So three three years later, uh, and and he also there's a poke at him saying uh, in his seventh book, right, on the subject. (laughs) So I think there was at least two major Scientology books, isn't that right? Dianetics and then another one.
2: Mm, I'm not sure the other one.
0: Okay, maybe I think maybe Dianetics also came out in two different um, editions. Philip K. Dick was a huge fan of A.E. Van Vaught. Um, and A.E. Van Vogt was apparently quite taken with Dianetics as it oh. was being published in, uh, as, as was, um, what's his name? Uh, editor of Astounding John Campbell. John Campbell. At first, yeah. Anyways. Um, and it, it, I think there must be something about, because I don't know anything about di- Dianetics uh, as, a, as it relates to science fiction. But there's not much science in it, right?
2: In Dianetics?
0: Uh, well, yeah, in Scientology, in Dianetics. It, it's, no, it's, it's more like self help. It's the language of it, but it's yeah. not actually. It,
2: yeah, it's more like um, self helpy like kind of uh, almost like therapy kind of.
0: Yeah, it's like. A replacement it's, for therapy. Yeah, it's, it's psychotherapy for the afflicted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but made up. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to whatever else, you know, I don't know, uh, regular psychotherapy, which is, are also sort of made up, but has a lot of trial and error behind it uh, over what uh, 100 years or so previous. Mm-hmm. Um, d- do we know if he like, went to a Scientology meeting and then this was the reaction? Did, w- did that ever show up in one of the it's, biographies?
3: Uh, no. Um, I read Lawrence Sutton's work, Mm-hmm. The- divine inventions, and uh, um, L. Robin Hubbard isn't mentioned there, as well as in the exegesis, there is no mention of uh, Scientology
2: or Scientology yeah, ideas. Th- he might have just read Dianetics and just been like,
0: here <laughs> we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very likely. Yeah. Um, Did you
2: guys catch the the name by the way? Because I didn't catch this when I was listening to it. But What's that? Um, oh, yeah. So the Al-Ron Hu Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. who is a bard?
5: I I did smirk when uh, that that line came up and the penny dropped like, ah. Yeah,
2: I listened to the whole thing first mm. and then I was like, Oh, I get it.
4: It's cute. It's <laughs> cute. Mm. So you see yeah, he's talking about clearness and all these books. So he's clearly poking at Scientology and not in a fun way. So what did he have a negative experience reading Dianetics? I mean, if it didn't show up in the biographies... That's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> Dianetics is um, pretty crazy. And it's
0: in the it's in the area too, right? So this is where California is where it started. It's where yep. it started spreading yeah. out. He, he's right in the center of it, so... Um,
2: I'm curious if well,
0: the... It, um, go for it.
2: Sorry. I was just going to say I'm curious if the e-meters were invented
0: I think they must have or,
2: been. Yeah, because it seems they, like this electronic device that they're looking into. The scanner,
0: yeah. No. Yeah. Oh,
5: yeah. What were you going to say, Jim? Um, well, I know there was a, there's a famous apocryphal story that did the rounds about L. Ron Hubbard, because, I mean, he was a science fiction writer of sorts in oh, his yeah. earlier days. Uh, and writer. apparently he, he really wanted to uh, get pally with uh, Alistair Crowley, mm-hmm. and Crowley... Had a dim view of Hubbard and refused to meet him. And apparently, not long afterwards, it, there's a, an apocryphal story that Hubbard claimed it about. Well, if Crowley won't let me join his religion, I'll start my own.
4: Mm. I, I, and I I'm I'm not... wondering... yeah, I've, I've
5: okay.
4: heard. I've heard a different apocryphal mm. story about why he founded uh, Dianet, dianetics and Scientology. Basically, that basically that that's the easiest way to make money. The apocryphal story is he talked to Robert Heinlein about that, and mm-hmm. that's why he came up with came up with the whole idea just to make basically to become rich. And, yes. And okay. he said uh, after uh, um,
3: Harlan Ellison told that at a meeting of science fiction authors in New York, Hubbard was complaining right about this bad payment for his literary work, and Lester Del Rey made the joke and suggested him to found a religion.
0: Right.
3: Ah, <laughs> if you want to make money. This was – was, um, yeah – I read that in a Scientific American by, uh, mm-hmm. in an article by Michael Shermer. It's in, mm-hmm. it's found in the uh, Wikipedia article about article about L. Ron Hubbard. And if we take it, uh, the Heinlein anecdote or the Harlan Ellison anecdote, <laughs> this opens a different view, a different point of view on the church, of uh, the religion of L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology, I guess.
0: I think, I think he... I think in the in the story here, he Dick is really there is a tension between like what is religion for, and I think you know we see that in books like Man in the High Castle as well. This is a kind of Man in the High Castle story in a certain sense, right? Um, It's set in an alternate universe in a certain sense. Uh, I know it's probably supposed to be set in the future, Um, but it's where you know the Asians won right and the africans won and even the cocks uh of detroit are being ruled over by an indian not like a local you know first nations indian but <laughs> an indian from india who is like sort of the colonial governor or something there mm-hmm. so there's there's a i think a tension between like what what is the purpose of religion what's it for and in the case of Dianetics and Scientology, uh, and I guess how strange a man L. Ron Hubbard was, in the fact that he was basically a born liar and couldn't stop lying all the time, in a certain sense he's... Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a strange comparison, but in a certain sense he has the, a similar mentality to Trump, in that he's incredibly smart in a certain way, um, but he's also completely different from most people and uh, unlike Trump he seems to probably have suffered from a serious mental illness at, at least some point Right, his, his pathological lying was not as convincing somehow to uh, most people for a lot of his life and then suddenly it was when mm-hmm. he figured out a system that could perhaps he thought at least help him and he managed to persuade a lot of other people that it could help them and that I mean, I think this is the appeal of any religion, really. Why does Scientology work at all? Is because it offers answers, I think. And I noticed that a lot of modern religions don't even pretend to offer answers anymore as much as... uh, or I say modern religions. I mean, current, still-going religions don't seem to offer as many answers as they offer sort of tradition and a social structure. And, you know, you're born into it and there's sort of... Things within it to pass it along, but when when you walk by those Scientology freaks, I mean people, um, uh, Marissa, they're standing out in front. What do they say? What do they say to convince you to come in? They say, "Do they, you feel something?" And then they they offer a solution.
2: They do not say a word. They just look with their blank stares straight through the the outside people who are walking around their buildings.
4: That's creepy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I haven't. I think the ones who sit at those, um, stands and give out the stuff and try and get the e-meter readings, Mm -hmm. like, um, they are trained to talk to people. Yeah. I don't really talk to them because the only interaction I've ever had with them was, um, too scary. (laughs) 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 I tried to take a photo and they started following me. Oh
0: my God. Um,
2: but yeah, the people outside the buildings who are just coming and going and like going to their courses and stuff, they, they just literally don't interact or even really make eye contact.
0: Yeah. It's it, it. feels like this. The main character sung Woo has he's left the the cult building, you know, the big Scientology buildings somewhere in Asia, got on his plane, gone to do the investigation, and then had, you know, oh my god, this is what the real world's like. Oh my god. Yeah. I have well, escaped.
2: Yeah, they're they're told they're um they're given so much fear about. Hearing negative things about Scientology or talking to people who would say horrible things it about will Scientology, jangle you. yeah, it will jangle you. So exactly, like if you do go out and like interact with outside people, you might um, you might start questioning it. <laughs> that would be
4: so. Helpful. So, so, so is this story then a, a story about a Scientologist who gets deprogrammed?
2: Yeah, that's how I'm reading it. I think it. it must be. And cool. because at the end he takes he goes for the medicine <laughs> which right scientology is so against you know they're like don't take modern medicine and modern uh, modern therapy like we've got all the answers we've got all the cures
0: and the thing is is you know if you are suffering from a mental illness which a lot of people do it's not a small amount i mean i think everyone has bad days (laughs) um you know i tend to i'm pretty level i'm I don't go up too high or down too low very often. Everyone has bad days, but every once in a while, uh, most, I I think the statistics are out there, but people have some sort of mental crisis in their lives. And Mm -hmm. if you combine that with, you know, a sort of, I don't know, free floating anxiety about what the meaning of existence is, and somebody offers you, um, solace that isn't just drugs because drugs are dangerous and um we should fear them (laughs) um i can see why people would get a you know this electronic device is not going to hurt you it's not the device right right? and
2: sitting down and talking to people about your problems isn't going to hurt you either that's right
0: (laughs) and it's it's cheap right it's free at first Right? At, at first, at <laughs> it's first. not
2: cheap. <laughs> it's not cheap after that. It's pretty expensive.
0: But there is a lot of, uh, I mean, what they, one of the things that Scientology does is it says, you know, we get a lot of hate. They, they say, you know, there's a lot of haters out there. They're jealous or whatever it is, um, and so that actually kind of helps the people say, don't talk to them because they'll, they'll try and hurt you. That they're so yeah. jumbled themselves, or whatever it is. It, it, they use their bad reputation to sort of help that stay, keep you in.
2: Yeah, which is pretty much what almost every cult does, right? Yes, kind of, yeah. Like Actually, the yeah. Westboro Baptists and stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I, mean, I think hate. that's pretty much how it is. Well, I, I, I still go back to the. Like, one of the things that. I think Mercury, you make it a good point about how it's um, how he does let us into the world slowly, slowly. Because uh, the very first line, uh, "Cults," he examined a tape report, grinding from the receptor. The re- receptor was rusty and unoiled, right? And then it, it basically catches on fire a second later. And then the the bard uh, Bard Chai, the supervisor, throws the half burned, half I don't know unspooled report report into a disposal slot that is already jammed right (laughs) so like their culture is falling apart and then Bard Song says what about cults and he says any stable society is menaced by cults and then he (gasps) says our society is no exception I thought about that line at the beginning (laughs) of the story you don't know is that true who's saying that what Well, the ancient Romans, they had a lot of cults. Was that a stable society? Okay, good question. Our society has a lot of cults. Are we a stable society? Um, So, (laughs) I'm still ambivalent about that line. Is this a stable society? Seems like it's on the edge of teetering off into uh, a brink of, you know, uh, their last working aircraft. is there, right there. Yeah, it's completely small in a
4: I, I think they're, they've convinced themselves they've been stable for so long that the the rot is something that they're being willfully blind to, and only when it becomes acute, like say when when uh, when Sungwoo has his accent and winds up in the wilds of Michigan, that that the, the true nature of just how things have deteriorated past the point of no return becomes absolutely clear. But you can you can you can ignore and rationalize for a long long time even as things are falling apart around That's you right. that everything everything is fine this is fine everything's good <laughs> everything's ever as it was oh crap everything's broken now
2: yeah i'm taking all the like mechanical breakdowns and like the whole thing do not repair you know repairing is bad mm-hmm. as kind of what scientology is saying about medicine like and psychologists do right. not listen to them do not repair do not fix we've got all the answers and then he's kind of showing how it all just yeah you're trying to shoot bullets with a rusty gun and <laughs> everything is falling to pieces
6: i, I, I think I, it
5: also plays into the, the sort of the deterministic nature of um right their faith because there is there's elements some scientology but i think there's also maybe a bit of a dig at um uh, kind of you know general fa- eastern faiths and the idea of mm-hmm. karma and everything is predetermined and it is mm-hmm. kind of well it's broken that's the divine will that that breaks and
2: oh yeah they, they,
5: they, <laughs> they've forgotten i mean that's the sort of twist at the end of this story that ben tinker says well don't you think it might be the divine will that we actually you know get off our backsides and do something <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah that so, you know it's kind of that we have free will and that that's you know that's the divine will that we have it and we can change things not just go oh well that that's 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 it for this life you know what i yeah. mean that's that oh that's broken too bad we can't repair that now <laughs> i'm gonna die <laughs> which, oh well you know
3: which is a, which is a very very cheap argument it's in the plan, it's broken, so it's in the plan. Mm-hmm. And this is in the plan, so also that the aircraft is broken is in the plan. Uh, and if, if uh, um, the character would think about it, the last aircraft, the last working aircraft he's flying with to Detroit, then it, it crashes. And then he, is, uh, he he sees this, the, the lowest class is able to build a stable society, to, to try it, to tinker things, to repair things, and finally to give him uh, the medicine that he will change his life, that he won't die of the plague and then turn into a fly on a, a jungle planet. So this could, he could also argue that this is all part of the plan, part of the divine plan.
4: Mm-hmm. If he wanted, if he if he wanted to, yeah, he could say that. Yeah, this is all part I of what was meant to be. That's how he
0: rationalized it, right? He he's, he's not 100 percent out of the cult, I don't think. No. At the end, even though he's going off to Spain, because he's he still has time to flagellate right um, hit <laughs> himself and, he's, and he's, deny himself he's pleasure. Also,
3: he's also a silent messenger because he knows what what will
0: happen. Um. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. Sorry. Do you think Do you think that the that the Cox, uh, the technoists, or the tech technicians what What do they call them? Tinkerers. 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 Right. It's a, it's a couple of names. They don't believe in the religion at all, do they?
4: They don't even know don't. about it because because he, he goes to this whole instruction of the children, and the children have no idea about the whole uh, the the basic catechisms. Who are you? You are a. Man. Fragment of the cosmic plan. What are you? A mere speck in the system, so vastly beyond comprehension. They, they, they've never heard any of this before. It's all, it's all brand new to them. They've, mm. they've been outside this, the system of, uh, of L. Ron and Hugh Abard's uh, religion. <laughs> <laughs>
3: they don't know.
4: They don't know anything about the social
3: class system either. Mm.
0: Yeah. 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 They make. They're busy mixing, aren't they? Um. I, I I can't I can't um, not think about like he's totally ambivalent, like uh, there there's so many stories where the main sort of philokadic viewpoint character is a hairy cock who <laughs> basically <laughs> um, is sweating and sort of galumping around you know he's he's just kind of like... Like a Neanderthal in a certain sense. You notice there's other stories that have Neanderthals in them too, right? So I, I'm, I'm I'm certain that one of Philip K. Dick's wives must have called him like a Neanderthal. You're so hairy. <laughs> Your brow ridges are so giant. And the theory that you know cocks are evolved, devolved, or mixed in with Neanderthals—it must be in there. Isn't there's a novel called uh, Mary and the Giant, right? Um I I the view the viewpoint character must be Philip K. Dick in that the giant, right? And so when when uh, our bard visits and he sees these two cocks, you know, walking up, he describes them and just bestial hairy and then you know, they say,
4: hey, how's it going? <laughs> Completely reasonable people. Yeah, no, no, no I, I think I think the readers should hear this. Because at the moment sung broke off, two quasi-human shapes were approaching him, immense white-skinned figures striding across the bake fields between the sickly rows of wheat. Technos, coming to meet him, his fresh crawl. cocks. Their skins glittered pale and unhealthy like nocturnal insects dug from under rocks. He rose to his feet, conquered his disgust, and prepared to greet them right it, it, it's 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 a nice reversal i mean he's othering caucasians which is but
0: he doesn't do that to the women right the the no, woman he's the women. super attracted to they don't look like neanderthals right um this is just like philip k dick saying you know i find men disgusting especially other white men they're, they're horrible <laughs> when i look in the mirror i'm pretty goddamn hairy myself but you know girls i think they're gorgeous <laughs> so all the um the lascivious looks that this uh viewpoint character gives to uh the 19 year old or 17 year old whatever it is um these are, these are all straight out of his own life and they sort of overwhelm the,
4: <laughs> the, the narrative view. a little bit
0: um. uh why well, it informs the text for sure um I want to but talk but
4: think, about. But I think it gives. I think gives the character. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's basically drawing himself a very human dimensions. Like he's he is, he is so flawed, and he hates himself for it. Mm-hmm. And and he just muddles along, and he whines incessantly. Like in eight months, the plague will turn the wheel, on me, and it'll be done.
0: Like it, 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 we are we are put in a position of laughing and.
4: Um, wincing
0: and yeah, yeah there's a whole bunch at, of, at this like, at this character and his every he's full of hypocrisy right every yeah. <laughs> everything he's does is full of hypocrisy um i'm kind of fascinated by that but i'm also incredibly fascinated by the robots i love i love philip Dick robots
2: yeah <laughs> the farmer <laughs> robots
0: yeah mm. clearness be guys. with you the robot <laughs> rasped obediently <laughs> um and when he sees that robot uh this is on page 74 It says, An open field lay to his right. A robot farmer was plowing with a metal hook welded to its waist, a section torn off of some discarded machine. It stopped dragging the hook and gazed up in amazement as Sung Wu landed the ship awkwardly. So it doesn't say what that metal hook is for, but I assume it's a plow. It's been Mm -hmm. turned into a plow. And that robot didn't have a plow when it came out of the factory. Somebody local welded it on there and said now you're plowing the field buddy
4: yeah some tinkerist right yeah Yeah, because because it says the robot went back to dragging the rusty middle hook through the hard ground its pitted body bent double with the string working slowly silently on complaining yeah it's a plow yeah so just the the fact
0: that these robots must all be legacy leftovers from the previous techno society as well right I yeah,
4: and, yeah, yeah. And the tinkerers have basically readapted them to be farmers
0: and kept them in repair
4: and kept them in repair, yeah. And the barts are also, also using
3: robots, which isn't,
0: yeah, but theirs are probably even more dilapidated than the, the ones in Detroit, right? Because yeah. they, they don't seem to have any respect for the technos at the bottom. They've got to yeah. be. Uh, they they represent the you know the television repairman part of Philip K. Dick, right? <laughs> the you know we got to fix sure. these things and yeah. understand them and and make them work for us. The this you know this science is good and engineering's great sort of aspect. There's something it, there's something very cool about this society even if the even if the story isn't that great like. I, I'm i kind of hoping that he recycles this in a novel I haven't read yet. This world.
4: Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, because, yeah, because when we, we're we we're seeing here the very early stages of what will be the overthrow of the society, it'd be cool to go forward and see, see the society, see the wheel actually turn. I mean, it's foreshadowed that's what's going to happen, but how it's actually going to occur. Yeah, I'd read a novel on that. Mm hmm.
2: did anyone understand, um, isn't there a line somewhere where the the people are working the earth, maybe the woman or something, and there's like, pieces about them, it's almost to the metal underneath the
0: right. earth? Yeah, did I, you I, understand I, what? I get the sense that uh, this is like our, our future society where, where, you know, everything got turned into a super, I don't know, cyberspace future where... We have monorails everywhere, <laughs> helicopters and robots, and then some nuclear war happened and the cities Ooh, are bombed out, right? I, I open sores.
4: I, I found the paragraph. Okay. Farmers were working the barren fields on all sides, a thin layer of soil over slag. A few w- limp wheat stalks wavered, thin and emaciated. The ground was terrible, the worst he had seen. He could feel the metal under his feet. It was almost to the surface men and women watered their sickly crops with tin cans, old men metal containers picked from the ruins and ox was pulling a crude cart. So it almost sounds like to me, Marissa, in answer to answer your question is like they're basically farming the ruins of Detroit. They're not even yeah. So of,
2: they've, they've yeah, like so laid it. soil over the top or it's just time has just
4: yeah time has it's put but organic matter but, pump,
2: right yeah Oh I see. That's such a cool image. I love that paragraph. Mm-hmm. so creepy
0: he, he's really good at imagery in here in fact it's, it's he uh, is yeah it's a uh, uh, this I believe was right after time pawn which if you remember is one of his his most beautiful um, the the opening for time Pond time pawn is really good and then when it gets turned into the novel he strips away a lot of the beauty of the mm-hmm. happening I don't know That's why right. <laughs> sort of uh, maybe he's revising it and making it better by just <laughs> changing it but he he's really capable of doing a lot of uh, i guess this is a world building story it's just it's so slight it's all a joke right that, that i guess that's why i'm sort of disappointed with it because yeah. there, there's you not a lot meat. to get maybe
4: you wanted more meat out of
0: out of it <laughs> yeah um, one of the things I, I do like about it is it, it doesn't tell you what it's doing. Uh, so you have to be a little bit canny or a little bit experienced. Um, when the two uh, cocks are sitting around the table discussing what they're going to do to you know, fix the fields, right, irrigation, all that. One of the things he sa- one of them says is um, that they're going to use uh, nicotine or copper. Um and I'm like, oh, I know what that is. That's um they're going to use nicotine because it's a anti um, bug uh, spray. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah right? to, to kill the side.
0: bugs. I'm which sorry, yeah. like you know side. which damage the crops. That's what the girl's doing, right? She's collecting uh insects that are eating the crops. And he's like, No, you can't kill them, you're murdering them. They're her brothers. <laughs> Um, (laughs) this is fellow kid reacting to sort of Eastern, um, Eastern mythology, I think, right? I, I -hmm. I don't think he, he never really went Eastern, right? He was all sort of more, uh, I don't know. Gnostic. Middle East, yeah. mm -hmm. Much more go out to the cave and have a vision than, uh, uh, listen to the, listen to the old guy in the tower who has, has a, had an experience a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So um, he, used, he later
3: used the king oracle to write man in the High Castle*.
0: Yeah, right. but I think I think what he's he's always poking at it, but I don't think he ever comes mm-hmm. away. Uh, obviously, yes. he never comes away from the Christian religion uh, fully convinced either. Of, of
3: course not. You, you're totally right. If you're reading the exegesis, then you see it in front of you. Also, when reading *Valis*.
0: I've got to Vallis yet. I don't think I'm gonna ever get to ex Jesus, but I do. Uh, I, I think he's he's poking at it and saying, "Well, what if this is true?" Um, and I is, I think he's right. I think he's complete. He's saying it's completely incoherent, isn't it?
2: Yeah, this is also um, Scientology as well. That reincarnation thing, right. but it's but I don't think that they talk about you living as animals. I think think you just go through human bodies but i could be wrong
0: yeah you're, you're jangled with uh, the spirits of i don't know some some murderers from a million billion years ago or something right
2: mm. yeah it's well a you're, you're a thetan, yeah and you just pass <laughs> um, through these physical bodies
0: i i, I, That's I, I can interesting, i sorry. can totally see that though right like um if you uh, if you if you believe if you thought that l Ron hubbard's right about it's religion, which I'm pretty sure he's not. Um, if you have a feeling like I want to murder you right now, like because you stepped on my foot or something, or like every once in a while I see somebody do something horrible, and then I have a sort of reaction to it that is not my best self. I can sort of see, you know, trying to externalize that and say it's not really me; it's somebody else. Um, I'm I have you know multiple personalities inside of me, and one of them is is the mean one and (laughs) the other one likes chocolate and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, The other one's a lascivious bastard or whatever it is. Um, Those those externalizations and putting them inside and then you get clear of them, I mean, I think that's how you feel when you're not feeling mentally ill. You know, you're, not that I go around feeling mentally ill, but I, I think everyone is on a spectrum, right? So, I know people who, like I was thinking about this yesterday after reading this story, I was thinking, well, if you forced me, you said, who's the most mentally ill person you know, I could pick somebody. And then you say, rank them, right? And who's the most stable person you know? Right, I I absolutely could rank them. If we pick celebrities, we could do that, right? For sure, we, could, yeah. we totally could rank them in order of sort of sanity, um, and who we think is most likely to you know go nuts, <laughs> or whatever it is. I think that that that's what he's because uh, Philip K. Dick is on the spectrum too, right? Like it's amazing that a guy who had as many mental sort of issues as he did, not that. He's you know that bad, in a certain sense, but he's so productive, right? And maybe part of that pro- productivity is because of of his mental situation. It's just I got to work this out. I got to figure this out. Here's an idea. Maybe this will work, right? And it, it turns it just so happens that that's a marketable skill.
2: Yeah, and I guess it's because you know our brains are so complex and mental illness can affect like so many different aspects, which. Kind of goes oh, back to why like Scientology's like one answer to fix all. Just sit in this room and like put your hand on this crazy machine and we'll fix you. Answer is just so weird. Like,
0: but it, it sure, is sort it of a talking somebody. cure too, right? Like they yeah they put you which in is, a room with a person and that person's supposed to interview you to get rid of your negative thoughts or whatever. yeah,
2: which is nothing new. You know, it's like yeah, you can you right. Can do it's that. just because it's <laughs>
0: expensive on top of it. Yeah. And, and that, you know, they they maltreat you and stuff like that. That that's the bad part.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not that the trying to help people. Sitting is down bad and talk, Yeah, exactly. Right. Sitting
2: down and talking to someone, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not revolutionary or, you know, needing a religion built around it either. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. what do you guys, what do you, what do you, uh, yeah, sorry. go for it.
3: He had really, really mental issues in 1953 when he was writing the story. He had panic attacks, taken,
6: uh-huh.
3: taken amphetamines, uh, uh, suffered from agoraphobia and different phobias and depressions. And uh, I read something about the um, the link between graphomania, you know, writing a lot, uh-huh. writing everything, and uh, mental depression. So maybe yes. Uh, I agree with you that there is uh, there is uh, something that goes along with that. He's that's, writing story story. That's what the exegesis story story. is,
0: right? Is, is graphomania yes. in a Late, certain sense? Yeah,
3: yeah that. Uh, uh, about twenty years later, he starts with the exegesis after the uh, the, the thing that happened to him in spring nineteen seventy four, and he was constantly writing.
0: Yeah, notice and, it's the thing that happened to him, rather than. The thing that happened within him, right? I, I think if it you happens, were standing yeah. uh, <laughs> at Philip K. Dick's shoulder when that uh, he answered the door and the lady with the pink, whatever beam coming Pink's out of her fish,
3: fish symbol, right, uh, uh,
0: delivering bean. the tooth toothache medicine or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were standing there would, and you looked up into the sky and looked at the lady and her 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 necklace, I don't think you'd see anything. I think oh, you'd see right. a lot of I mean, I a lot of money. shit happening. I would, I would
3: pay money for sitting on his shoulder. I would pay money for sitting on his shoulder, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wait, I, yeah,
0: I don't think I would. I, I'd like to be across the street with binoculars because
6: <laughs> this guy is a bit too.
0: Uh, he's a bit too uh, wild for me. <laughs> Reading that um, a, a couple of novels ago, uh, the story about him having to go get a gun and. Um, going to go, go you... get a gun? solve all my problems <laughs> this is a bit too scary
2: but yeah you're right that he was experiencing like um, I don't know hallucinations or delusions or something and probably aware in a way of that as well you know like coming yeah. in and out of these experiences and trying to make sense of them in moments of clarity and it must be frightening
0: yeah yeah want, I, I, and it is and there's no, and there's no nobody has the answer right right and that's the truth. However, um, lots of people claim it, including this group. Here's an exploration of it. But I, I, I think that the ending is quite powerful in, in that because um, I see a lot of reflection of our society and a lot of the idiocy that's going on in the society in, uh, in Bard Chai's world, you know. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, the thing is, you know, veganism, it's cool. That's fine. As long as you don't understand it to be like a... Uh, um, for moral reasons. Because I don't think it makes sense that way. I mean, uh, sure, I understand, you know, making animals suffer is bad. Um, because suffering's bad. It makes me feel bad. I don't want to see other people suffering. But I don't care if it's a fucking fly on my arm. I'm going to kill it, because I don't like flies on my arm. Um, if it's a spider crawling on the floor, I'd rather throw it out the window... Than flush it down the toilet, but... um. Honestly, if it comes down to it, that fly or spider's not staying in my house. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Sorry, spider. Um so the the take it to the limit sort of bullshit um religion aspect is rejected, I think. And when when we hear what the cocks say and get past the fact that they look like neanderthals, right, and they're all hairy and sweaty, <laughs> once we get past that, Science is awesome, technology is great, and yeah, it can bring about the destruction of the world uh, with a nuclear war, but ultimately, uh, we'll recover from that because we're smart, and we have science, and we have engineering, and we're yeah, innovative. Yeah, I think that's right? what think, it's saying. Yeah, it's like, it, 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 Philip K. Dick, he, he, he ultimately believes that communism is not the solution, right? He ulti- he's ultimately believes that... Uh, American industrialism is a good thing, (laughs) Even Mm -hmm. if he has lots of qualms about lots of aspects of it, ultimately, if you push him hard enough, uh, penicillin is awesome.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah.
0: And I I think that's really the only real giant point he's making uh, with the ending. Am I missing something else? Is there anything else there?
2: Yeah. And I think it also touches on that theme that he uses in a lot of things where it's like the... Everything is, um, you know, it's about entropy and everything sort of falling mm-hmm. apart into mm-hmm. um, Kippel or gobble or whatever, you know. Gubble. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then he's the repair man. He's the one that's putting it back into like organized states. And these tinkerers are going to like put order back into this world of chaos. And
0: you know,
2: there's yeah, something. There's. They, I'll
3: go for it. It's, there's new cults are built from pieces and parts of old religions, and so analog to this. And I look to this, you can say the, the tinkerists, or the, this class, is building a new world order, in a small kind of way, and out of the ruins of the old world, of the mm-hmm. devastated. Mm-hmm. They're taking mm-hmm. parts of that and building a new society.
0: Yeah, out of the age which of eras. does
3: not have this class. Of, yes, yes, yes. So this is deeply symbolic.
0: Yeah. Mm. I don't get any sense though that they're they're going to avoid nuclear war in the future, either. Um, There's no like they've learned that. anything, no. right?
3: They could do the same mistake. Why not?
0: They they but seem sort of primitively wise in that they say we shouldn't kill them because if we kill them, then they're going to just send another guy, and we that's too soon. We're not strong enough yet, right? So they they're clever, they're tricky. They they're, suborn them. Yeah, they suborn them, um, and, and it gets and, the job done.
3: And they have penicillin, so they can survive the plague,
0: right? And he says we don't have the technology to recreate these yet, but these are leftovers. Uh, and I just did hear a report recently that um, that this expiration dates on most drugs are not um, don't really. You can test drugs like thirty or forty years after they're manufactured, and often they will still be as as potent as they were. Um,
4: yeah, I saw that. I saw that nothing. as well.
0: So <laughs> another thing is, I, I don't know uh, if it's so, a
4: thousand years later or five
0: hundred years later the penicillin, will still be okay. But uh, <laughs> that, but at least he it. believes <laughs> they will. Be. <laughs>
3: but the, the other thing, the other thing is that the plague will come and, um, of course, destroy uh, mankind again. Yeah. And if you think about the Middle Ages, the plague is a sent from God. Right. Mm. So.
4: I want to unpack, I want to unpack. Uh, A portion of the story that we brushed over—you kind of mentioned it very briefly, Jesse. Mm -hmm. How do we know that this technology that shows the future and then your future incarnation? How do we know that actually, really, is the truth and it works? Given that, all given that we have all the rest of their technology falling apart, what? guaranteed do we have i mean he believes that he's good he's destined to be that poor little fly on the alien planet but it ha, we have no guarantees that this is really actually going to happen nothing nothing inside the story i mean you can read the story as this being a completely self-deluded cult that's taken over the world which almost sounds like a, a strike on scientology uh, again yeah that yeah like no, the, no, this guy's not going to be a fly in his next life. We have no guarantees that these machines aren't just absolute and positive BS.
0: I think that that's a very good point. I was thinking about the e, e machines uh, or e mm-hmm. readers as a kind of um, imagine if 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 you're re- to reboot Scientology, you know, for this year, they wouldn't be using what potentiometers or whatever it is, right? It'd be an it, app. It, 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 I think it would be VR. I think it would be, you know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> those goggles that you put your phone in, right? And and then you, you your stream is says, okay, now uh, you're you're seeing this, and there's somebody sitting there sort of guiding your experience, telling you what it all means. But <laughs> it's just, you know, it's really just a dial on a on a thing saying, oh, you're full of potential energy, and that means you're jangled. And the reason you're yeah. 'cause you're being tested, right? So, um, by the way, did you know that I don't know how well this will work in the future, but they are they do use um, VR now apparently as a treatment for uh, for shattered nerves or what is what is it called shell shock? What's a modern version of that called PTSD? PTSD right. Um, apparently, they're trying to use that as a treatment. Um, because it's even more immersive than talking, right? Reliving the memory. I mean, the, the thing is, is I remember all of Blade Runner. You don't I don't need to watch it again. But when you put it in front of me, it's a lot more vivid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the, you know, I can call up the Vangelis soundtrack, no problem, without ever having to actually put it on and play it, right? I, I can hear the harp going right now. Right? So... If you put me in the VR version of it, it is still more intense than any memory could call up or any um, any description of of volcano exploding, B fifty two bombers or whatever it is that that's <laughs> the ultimate cause of my jangles.
6: Hmm.
0: I think I think there's he's he's got to be playing with that. I, I wonder. You know, it, it's hard to get in there. Uh, to see what's that that room that his brother-in-law controls that has the last computer that can whatever it is machine that you put yourself in a basket and I don't I don't know what's going on there but that's got to be an e-machine, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so.
3: And he's talking about this machine in uh, later stories.
0: Um, oh really?
3: When really? You, yeah, but, but kind kind of a machine. It's this little box that appears in um, Blade Runner.
0: Oh well, uh, the void counting machine?
3: The, no, 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 no. The the Mercer. Is this is the Mercer cult. Uh, uh-huh. I'm not sure how it's called. This um, they're connected to this preacher, and this machine. I I just huh. don't remember what it's called, and this is appearing in a lot of stories, and not, not really? a lot of stories, but in yes, mm-hmm. I have to look it up. Just kidding. <laughs> give
0: me a minute yeah no worries <clears throat> that's interesting he's always carrying around a briefcase but i don't think that's the <laughs> void Kampf machine um no let's see um no decent self-respecting woman of a higher class of indian or mongolian or bantu stock would allow herself to be approached by a cock <laughs> <laughs> Most of the technos um, were Caucasians, immense, white-skinned things, Im- incredibly hairy, like apes. Their resemblance to the great apes was striking. <laughs> just some highlights.
4: Which, which which, is a very nice reversal of the racism then and at the time. Like, oh, I mean, I mean, calling Africans and African-Americans apes or ape-like is something that we still deal with today. And having Philip K. Dick just reverse that around kind of sh- – He's 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 taken the racism of his time and thrown it on Caucasians,
0: mm-hmm. and yeah, it's more
4: all the more jarring for it's like yeah people he, call he's really, is.
0: He is really dealing with racism in here, um, but he doesn't his his answer is not politically correct today either, right? Because um, the main character is a, a, a yellow man, and he's criticizing white men, but ultimately the white men are going to at least this tinkerist cult is going to lead a uh ascendancy right so mm-hmm. it's not no, it's not all under un, one way i don't think
2: i don't think so i think the um it's mentioned somewhere that they're not gonna just flip the vertical hierarchy there he talks about a horizontal right. society right. where right. everyone's going to be
0: equal right but i think it could be read in a negative way you're absolutely right it is it it, it, that's their fear is that oh vertical we'll we'll have to share the same outhouses as them oh my god, well, I mean oh my Hubbard, oh <laughs> my Elron.
3: I found so uh, found this about the the box right. the empathy box like empathy box ah. um oh. and, and Wilbur Wilbur Mercer who is the, uh, spreading this religion and this is uh, mentioned in to Andrew's empathy box get it empathy e box right yeah <laughs> e-meter. a little black box so this is an invention Interesting. He, yeah there you go <laughs> this is an invention that he mentions a, a lot of like the virtual reality of perky pad Ah, uh,
2: nice. yeah and i looked it up before and the the e-meter was um invented in like 51 or something or it was bought in. it was used in scientology by 51 so it was definitely around
0: yeah and he would he would have been totally up on it, I think. Yeah, he's reading all the magazines. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that uh, no I like this story a little more, but I still think it's it's a bit unfinished or lightweight or something because I like the world a lot more than I like the the basically simple simple plot. There's another one like this that I just I can't wrap my head around what he's like. How if you. Maybe everyone at, in 1954 would have got everything that's going on here. I found it v- very difficult. I can't imagine a, a regular person who's not super familiar with Philip K Dick or 1950s science fiction or L. Ron Hubbard or pretty much anything like you have to have so much knowledge going in to to get what he's doing here, I think. At
4: least that's mm-hmm. not entry, it's not entry level Philip K Dick by no, any means.
0: Not at all. I mean it's not like roog or anything like that there's another one like this and i i, I want to figure out what he's doing because i think i i got a handle on this one um it's uh it's shorter and it's also public domain it's um about a soldier or a bunch of soldiers stationed on a planet or a moon and their um their big problem is is some of the soldiers are deciding to become vegetables um and just like sit in the sun and experience oh the sunlight. yeah, what the, yeah. what the heck is that one called it's a sun- i uh. want to say green in the title but i have a feeling yeah me too it. it's um, like one
2: of his really early ones right it's
0: very early it's around this this same period and i'm like what is he saying here is this his wife say something to him is that what caused him to write the story and more importantly why did they anybody publish this if if we don't know what it means Right. What, mm-hmm. What's what? Like, I I don't under like I don't think this ever is going to get a m- movie made out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think it's possible. I think this story is too. Um.
2: It could be like the seed of a movie, like, but you'd have to develop it oh, so you much. Would like, to,
0: it have to change oh. it so much.
2: Yeah, but it definitely has like. There's something about it, like some kind of idea or potential mm-hmm. that. Like when I was reading it, I was kind of wishing it would be a lot longer. Like I wanted to like learn more about this world and these people. Hyper
0: in the Woods is the name of the story. Oh yeah, February February nineteen fifty three publication. That's it's only twenty pages long, and Um, I I, maybe that's when Mister Jim Moon should look at because it might be all mythological to do with the Green Man or something like that. I I don't know. I don't know what um. to make. I don't know. It's not usual that I come away from a Philip K. Dick story saying, well, why did he do that?" or "What, you know, what's he getting at here?" Um, and I, I find it even pretty rare for most science fiction of the period to ever make me feel that. The only time I feel that a lot is when I'm reading New Wave stuff. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell does this mean? Why is that guy doing that? Right? Like I, just, I don't get a lot of that stuff. I don't. Maybe maybe he's uh, just a new wave before his time. Sometimes is that is that possible? Have I misunderstood the new wave?
4: I don't think you've misunderstood the new wave. There's there's I mean just reading like say even the last dangerous visions. There's some really weird stuff in there, and it's like what is this really supposed to be? Like like uh I, like Libra's gonna roll them bones is so dense of stuff that's like what did i just read did did that really mean what i really meant and and yeah as you said it's relatively odd you come away from a full case story with a new wave sensibility since he's from the generation before he's yeah he's a pulp writer not a new wave writer. he's a pulp writer that had had mental issues and went through a possible metaphysical experience, but that doesn't make him new wave and he wrote through the new wave, but it doesn't make him new wave generally, except when things are like hall. Huh?
0: There the I don't know if it's classified as New Wave. Um the story that I always point to from that period that that I I think is amazing and awesome is Day Million by frederick oh
4: frederick pole i love that story i
0: think everybody loves that story especially given like uh and mercy you know this one day million i
2: can't remember can you tell me what it's i can't remember
0: it's a a love story with a boy and a girl and the boy's not a boy and the girl's not a girl and uh they meet once they they kiss she keeps his seed or something or he keeps her seed or something and then they never meet again and and they live happily ever after <laughs> Something like it's, that, it, it, maybe. It's really
4: short and here's a here's a leg kids. You can read it right there. It's re- it, it I mean, a tiny bit of tiny bit of uh text. Uh, Paul, give, Paul gives us all. It's like as you said, the first line is on this day I want to tell you about, which will be about a thousand years from now. There was a boy, a girl, and a love story. Now, although I haven't said much so far, none of it is true. The boy was not what you and I would normally think of as a boy because he was 187 years old. You Nor know, was the girl a girl for other reasons. And the love story did not entail that sublimation of the urge to rape and concurrent postponement of the instinct to submit that we personally understand that such matters. You won't care much for the story if you don't grasp these facts at once. If, however, if you will make the effort, you'll likely find enough find it jam-packed, chock-full, and tipped Top crammed with laughter, tears, and pointing sentiment, which may or may not be worthwhile. The reason the girl was not a girl was that she was a boy. <laughs> and, then it goes, and it says, how angry are you, Recoil, from the page? You say, who the hell wants to read about a pair of queers? I. This is, these are times, kids. Call them yourself. Yeah, you well, no it came host- out
0: wet. year. this is 1966.
4: No, I, I think it's earlier than that. That's what it, it
0: says here. Yeah, 66 on the Wikipedia okay. entry.
4: So here are no hot breathing subversion for, for the cautery trade. In fact, if you were to see this girl, you would not guess that she was any sense a boy. Breasts, two. Vagina, one. Hips, calpigeon. Face, hairless. Superorbital lobes, non-existent. You were her female at once, although it is true that you might wonder just what species she's the female of. Be confused by the tail, the silky pelt, or the gill that's behind each ear. <laughs> oh, wow. It, it, it is a wonderful story. And it's really okay, short, I have too. not read this one. you got <laughs> to read it. It's right. I can you the link. It's, it's right, I now, remember right that. on freeonvain.com. <laughs> it's like, oh, my. And it's just like in tiny, I mean, a tiny bit. It just goes through this entire little uh, future look at the story about. And I want to read the last line for the listeners, because by this time we've been thrown all this stuff about this future world and you're supposed to be shocked. And almost like, how could this ending be true? And he says, balls, you say, it looks crazy to me. And you, with your aftershave lotion and your little red car, pushing papers across the desk all day and chasing tail all night. Tell me, just how the hell do you think you would look to to Tegelatpilisa, say, or Attila the Hun? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you, you think you're a modern society, you think you're supposed to be humanity. Humanity changed in the past and will change in the future. Get over it.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to point out that this was published in Rogue, uh, which was a competitor to Playboy um, in February, March 1966. Um, when I read that story, it's got to have been mid-80s. Um, I I was pre-inoculated in a certain sense that as the main character in this story was... For the changes to come, you know that we, the society we live in now, where mm-hmm. um, a boy goes to prison for uh, for treason or whatever it is and comes out a girl. <laughs> um, yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea Manning, yeah, t- yeah,
4: right? yeah, This the story completely uh, predicts the existence of uh, people so like all Chelsea All the Manning, turmoil sorry.
0: and rage that that floats around the society of people dealing with this stuff is like. What's everybody get, Everybody's so freaked out. I I was thinking about this two decades ago. And, and more importantly, uh, a lot of science fiction readers read this story, what, how many years ago is that? Four, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and and it was aimed squarely at the heterosexual male, right, who wants to ogle boobs, because that's what the magazine was about, right? Right. It also offers fiction, um, so I think part of what what is happening in that story, you know, with him uh, saying, "Hey, hey, keep stick with me. This is a still a love story. You're gonna love it." <laughs> All that the meta aspects um, are missing from this story, and this story is is probably aged. Um, and if we think about how it will be viewed in 300 years unless unless uh, Scientology suddenly grows a lot more than it is <laughs> I think nobody will understand it at all whereas um, maybe n- people couldn't understand uh, I mean Day Million might not have been might not have been as comprehensible in 66 I I think there's something going on there and, and with the what he's doing it, it we have to remember that most of these stories are not meant for the ages at all, right? They're absolutely meant to be read and disposed of. Pulp magazines are, are lining your birdcage with afterwards, right?
6: right yeah. yeah.
0: This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.
4: anybody got any more cappers no i think i'm clear nope totally clear we're
2: we're clear and thanks to um we're probably going to be marked now as suppressive persons and thanks to jesse the vegans are probably going to be after us as well
0: (laughs) oh dear Um, no seriously come on like uh, everybody who's a vegan who's doing it for moral reasons they know that they're the fruit that they're eating is full of fruit fly eggs right they know that and if they right. don't know that they're in denial or maybe they just don't know but once you tell them they what are they going to stop eating fruit it's ridiculous
2: yeah like i totally get the, the moral reasons and stuff but the, the vegan thing it's a movement and a religion and the way they talk to people is yeah. so gross that i'm just like totally
0: put off by <laughs> it, it's 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 kind of cute in a certain sense right because what you're going to do if you get into a fight with a vegan they're going to hurt you because <laughs> if they do i mean yep they <laughs> <laughs> they'll bury you actually,
3: actually there's one vegan i don't want to have a scuffle with it's what, the, the that? Uh, former gu- guitarist uh, doyle wolfgang frankenstein from the misfits i mean this guy is huge and he's a vegan <laughs> And he he punches your lats out
0: too. Yeah, but is he is he vegan for ethical reasons or just because it? Uh, you know, he wants I, to make it. I don't know. Actually, healthier? actually, I don't know. Yeah, I th- I think you can be vegan just because you know you, you you like the food. I, I don't know that most mm-hmm. people are, go that direction, but um, it's it's kind of uh, is the absence of that. So if you abstain from alcohol, is that can that be a religion too is that the same direction i mean i guess we've seen that before right i abstain from alcohol but mostly cuz i don't like it and i also don't like getting pulled over and having to lie to the cops about whether i've had any alcohol right which i was driving home from a barbecue yesterday and i got pulled over they asked me have you had anything to drink and i i didn't have to lie mm-hmm. i had to say no i haven't
2: yeah, somehow alcohol, unlike other drugs, doesn't have that kind of, um, you know, the people who don't like it don't have a kind of religious fervor behind.
0: Yeah, it's other it, it's not. past, right?
2: Yeah,
0: it's past now. I I don't I don't begrudge other people alcohol, but I worry that they'll get pulled over and have, be hassled about it,
6: mm-hmm.
0: and rightly so, perhaps. But they didn't ask me if I had smoked any marijuana either. Right. Um,
3: They just wanted to to examine your car. Isn't that that 23-year-old Toyota?
0: 27. 27, (laughs) buddy.
3: 27, oh, my God. It's an (laughs) old-timer.
0: So they wanted to just...